Hello again and welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Welcome back as we journey together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're in our second part of these few days we're spending together, studying together the Ten Commandments in some depth. So thank you so much for joining me. I do really trust you're benefiting with making that decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. If you're here for the first time today, then why not click on the subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcast from, and you too can commit to make the Bible part of your daily experience. And that's what we'll do now, as we drop in, back into the text where we left off yesterday, Exodus chapter 20, and pick up where we left off last time. And do hang on at the end where I'll tell you about lots of ways you can connect to this ministry and access other great free Bible teaching resources. Bye-bye for now. Okay, last time we were together, I started by giving you an explanation, an overview of the Ten Commandments and talked about how we've made it through the first four. Now, if you recall last time at the beginning, I said there are several ways that people approach dividing the Ten Commandments. One way was just to say there were five on each of two tablets. That's often how it's depicted in imagery, isn't it? But among Christians for about 1500 years, the way they are usually divided is the first four and to see them as relating to our relationship with the Lord. And then the later six relate to our relationship that we have with one another as human beings. Now, since Jesus himself defined the greatest law as loving the Lord your God and then adding loving your neighbor as yourself, it seems reasonable to me that we should divide the commandments in a similar way that he did. So in yesterday's episode, we covered the first four commandments, which were all about our relationship with the Lord. We should have no other gods before him. We should not make any false idols or build any false impressions of him. And we should keep the Sabbath day holy and not take his name in vain. And we've looked at what those all mean for us today. So today we begin to look at the six that are left. And all of them, as we shall see, will have to do about loving your neighbour as yourself. It becomes immediately evident when looking at these commandments that they all involve other people beside us for example stealing another person's property or coveting their wife or even committing adultery so these all involve our relationships with other people now it would be tempting for me to try and tackle all six in one session and can thereby get through this but i feel the explanation of the six Well, I'm going to resist that temptation. I'm going to take my time and pace it correctly. And we'll divide these other six into two parts. There's no sort of basis for subdividing them further other than the order in which they appear in the text. But I do want to give more than just a surface explanation of what each of these commandments actually mean. So today's three commandments are really very simple. Honour your father and mother. Do not murder and do not commit adultery. But of course, even just hearing them listed in that way, the truth is the implications and the ramifications of these three commandments are very far-reaching. So in this episode, I'll cover three of them today, and tomorrow we'll deal with the next three. But before we dive into these, let me just share 
a little bit of background information by way of introduction. Over the last couple of years, in the background to doing this study, I've been working on a modern paraphrase, a rewriting of the writings of John Calvin. In fact, the very first of those books is about to go on Amazon any day now, and it's going to be my contemporary English version of John Calvin's commentary on the book of Galatians, a profoundly important book in the history of the church. But during this time in the preparation of doing that, I've come into contact with John Calvin's extensive writings on the Ten Commandments. So you will be noticing I'll be quoting what John Calvin said about them quite a lot, because I find his insights not only fascinating, but really helpful. So just bear that in mind as we look together at the next three commandments from Exodus chapter 20, uh, and we'll begin just three verses today, one for each commandment, verse 12. Honour your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord has given you. So the first of these three commandments is simply to honour your father and mother, which of course implies respecting and obeying them. So it's especially aimed for children of all ages, but of course children initially being taught this whilst they were still at home. Now there is a surprising aspect to this commandment in what comes in the second half of it, which is often forgot, forgotten. It states that if you obey your parents, you will live long in the land that God is giving you, referring of course to the land of Palestine in that context. But it implies, therefore, the other side of that must mean that disobedience and disrespect of parents would result in perhaps being booted out of the land for them which actually ultimately will happen to the Israelites. Now, if I turn for a moment to Ephesians chapter 6, we see the Apostle Paul quoting this commandment, but he too adds a slight modification. He says this, Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And he adds, which is the first commandment, with the promise that it may be well with you that you might live long on the earth. So it seems the ramifications of this commandment continue in the thinking of Paul, continue beyond just honouring your parents, as Paul's suggesting. But how does honouring your parents relate to living longer in the land? Living longer on earth, having a longer life on earth, it would seem. There are verses in Proverbs, you know, which say something similar. Proverbs 10.27 speaks of the fear of the Lord as per the thing that prolongs days, thus indicating that living a righteous life, living a life by which you obey God's commandments, it seems can contribute to a potentially longer life. So maybe these ancient writers picked up something but we're only beginning to understand today, the fact that living a good life living a moral life, will bring about well-being and then a longer life might come out of it. There's clear evidence coming through only in the last 25-30 years of the huge impact that having healthy relationships with our families and with other people, the huge health benefits of that, and that surely must include honouring your parents, and how that can impact one's health both mentally and physically for the positive. Anyway, I thought that's an interesting insight often passed over. But let's return to Exodus for a moment. It's become apparent that we're discussing 
here relationship with our parents and subsequently thereby our relationship not only with people inside the family but how that will affect others outside the family and the wider community. Based on this understanding I would propose the ultimate issue here is actually teaching about creating a society starting within the family where parents are held and are held with respect because by doing that you build a society where people learn to respect authority in general meaning that people will learn to respect the authority of those civilly in place above them through first of all giving respect to their parents let me quote what our friend john calvin said about this in his book a harmony of the law which is his discussion of the ten commandments he says this in order for our society to thrive it is essential for children to respectfully obey their parents as those in positions of authority appointed by god and to be honored with reverence disrespecting our parents ultimately reflects a lack of respect for god himself regardless of how deserving our fathers may be of honor Yet as a father, they possess inherent rights over their children as long as they don't stray from the principles established by God. Now that's my contemporary English language of a very old English translation written in the 16th century. But what Calvin is saying here is that this attitude of respect, starting within the family, has ramifications for all the society. If you learn this way of thinking at home from the beginning, it will reverberate throughout the entire society. And also, Calvin says that even if the father isn't the most respectable of fathers, so to speak, we should still respect him because of the position he represents. It's only if he goes so far beyond the pale that he's violating the very, the very principles of the judgments of the law that God has put upon him. That's the way Calvin puts it anyway. In other words, that he's so way out of bounds that then, as an individual, maybe our respect would wane, but not in terms of, of what he represents. And I think that's an interesting insight. In fact, Calvin goes on to say, in denouncing the immoral behaviours of the father, a genuinely devout son will still adhere to God's law regardless of his father's character, recognise the importance of honouring him as the father given to him by God. Therefore what that implies is that the son must prioritise God's law even over his father's actions, and he is still obliged to respect and honour his position of his father. So it's fascinating to me that way back even in the 16th century, and it's amazing that we can even begin to understand and think and understand that people perhaps were thinking the same way as we were, Calvin himself is recognising and pointing out the ramifications that this commandment by nature will have on society. In this day and age, in the time we live today, the idea of honouring parents is not really widely recognised. On the contrary, many well-educated parents don't believe that children should show them honour because they would have this idea that showing honour implies a sort or respect would imply their position was like an authority figure. And that's not a status that many modern parents seek these days. It seems to me that many parents seek just to be loved by their children, not really respected by their children, doesn't come into their thinking. 
But you see, I believe what is being taught here is a lesson way beyond and above love in the fact that the idea of respecting and honouring our parents is about creating a society in, in which we will respect and honour authority in all its forms. And that is why honouring parents is supporting. Loving, yes, but honouring and respecting over and above that is absolutely vital for all involved. And on the other side of this, I would suggest that there is also no generation that knows better than this one the terrible consequences of a society where people are growing up without a father. Fatherless boys are more likely to grow up and mistreat women. That's a fact. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying because they're fatherless this is the mother's fault. Clearly not. It is the absent father's fault. Fatherless boys are much more likely to act out against the society and to get into trouble with the laws and underachieve in all sorts of ways. But please don't mistake me, that's not an attack on single mothers. It's the attack on young men today who don't take their parental roles responsibly. And on the other side of it, fatherless girls, well, the sad truth is they're much more likely to seek out the wrong type of man as a role model in their life because they haven't had a father around. You see, this whole idea of honouring respect is about bringing everyone, all of us, to come to a position where we can recognise that there is in fact a moral authority above us, someone to whom we are morally accountable. And without this, without this commandment, we cannot create or maintain a truly moral society. Now, of course, the Ten Commandments are there to demonstrate that the ultimate moral authority is God, who is higher and over and above any authority of that of parents. But it's very difficult to come to a position where you feel you can even understand the idea of honouring and respecting God without having had a parent, especially a father, as, if you like, an earthly example of that heavenly reality. So the commandment, honour your father and mother, sets the template for moral authority and how it should begin at home. Okay, the next commandment is very straightforward. Do not murder. Now, some of us who've been around the block a few times may think they remember as this being described all the time as thou shalt not kill. But let me be clear, it's translated thou shalt not murder and that's how it's translated in most Bibles these days. And that is because the Hebrew word for murder means murder and this commandment has nothing to do with just killing. As a matter of fact, there are all kinds of ramifications that rise out from misinterpreting this the wrong way. You see, the Hebrew original idea does not say do not kill. It actually says do not murder. And in both Hebrew and English, they are two very different words for taking a life. One is kill and the other is murder. And the difference between those two words is enormous. Kill means taking a life. In fact, it means taking any life, even an animal life, whether deliberately or accidentally, legally or illegally, morally or immorally. Killing means one thing and murder means one other thing completely different. Murder is the illegal or the immoral taking of a life. That's why we say, well, I, I killed an insect. We do not say we murdered an insect. 
You see, if the Ten Commandments would just forbid killing, then we would, well, among other things, all have to be vegetarian, as then even the killing of an animal would be prohibited, and we'd all have to be pacifists on every occasion. There would be no such thing as a just war. We wouldn't even be allowed to kill in self-defense or to protect our family. The Bible does allow killing in certain situations. It even prescribes animal sacrifices and allows the eating of meat. So it does not mean do not kill. This commandment means what I said it means and what the word says it means do not commit murder. So let me just tell you a little bit, unpack it and say what this does include and does not include. Clearly, it doesn't include accidentally killing someone. We have words for that and levels of that within our legal system from something called manslaughter through to accidental death. It means you may have killed a person in a varying degree of circumstances, but it wasn't your intention, so it wasn't murder. It was an unintentional act that led to the loss of life, and that is not defined as murder, and that's different to what the Bible is talking about here in this commandment. So pretty much besides taking out a gun or a weapon and killing someone, lots of other types of murder, types of events that lead to the death of another person are not what has actually been talked about here. The first act is a deliberate murder, meaning that you premeditated. It's murder. Now if it's done in passion on the spur of the moment, it's still murder and in law it's second degree murder, but it's still murder. But it's not deliberate pre-planned murder, which is how we as societies agree different levels of punishment. In law, it may be classed as second degree, but the key word is it's still murder. So murder can be when you intend to kill someone premeditatedly or in a moment of passion, it's still murdered. And that's what's covered by those two things. But there are some other things that I believe are also covered. And let me mention in a couple controversial, I know. I personally think that euthanasia is murder. That you have no right to deliberately plan to take someone's life because they're old or because even, sadly, they're in pain. Now I need to clarify this because periodically there are situations where people's life is brought to the end by the ending of what we call today life support. And there's nothing I believe in scripture that says you must artificially keep a person alive on a machine because the technology today enables you to do that. I think that's different. It's not okay in my estimation to say that just because someone is going to die in six months that it is okay to help them die quickly. And that's why euthanasia, in my opinion, is covered by this commandment. It's not allowed in scripture. And it's covered under the commandment of thou shalt not commit murder. You see, ultimately, these commandments teach respect for human life. In fact, if you remember, I said how these commandments are actually divided and how Jesus himself divided them was into two parts. Firstly, our relationship to God and then our relationship to other people. And the first four, the first section had to do with loving God. And the second half here has to do with loving others. And this is teaching us is more than not going killing someone. It's teaching us that on every level we should honour human life in society because people ultimately are made in the image of God. So to sum this up, all the second group of commandments we're going to look at today and, and tomorrow cover all types of violence, injury, 
any deliberate, harmful, premeditated thing that we could do to someone, something that may injure someone's body, take their life, or damage their position and status in society. In other words, they're all forbidden to us under these commandments. In other words, we could just say it's all about respecting other human beings. Now, I warned you I was going to quote Galvin, but I will again, because I think he brings some interesting insights into this. Listen to what he says about this. The Lord here instructs that everyone should diligently strive to protect and promote the well-being of their fellow human beings. This goes beyond merely refraining from negative actions, but involves actively advocating advocating for what is fair and just for them. The commandments explicitly emphasize the importance of love towards our neighbors, not just in terms of avoiding harm, but also in terms of actively caring for their needs. Therefore, this commandment encompasses two essential aspects. Firstly, we must refrain from causing harm or injury to our neighbours. And secondly, we should only live in harmony with others. We should avoid conflicts, but also extend our support to those who are suffering, perhaps unjust oppression, and strive to resist evil forces wherever we see them, preventing them from causing harm to other people. That's again from his essay, probably compiled from a series of sermons he gave called A Harmony of the Law, his Calvin's discussion in the Ten Commandments. That's my my contemporary English language version of that. Christ himself, of course, he expressed the same sentiment exactly in the sense of his attitude about how the law should be applied in his life when we hear him recorded by in John's Gospel as saying that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus said it, John said it, Matthew said it, Mark recorded it. And if you really want to get down to brass tacks, they said, this is all about loving our neighbours as ourselves. Okay, one more commandment we look at today, and that is, you shall not commit adultery. Now, this is also one that is misunderstood as well, because I'm sure I don't need to explain, there's a difference between adultery and just sexual immorality. The word often used for that particularly in the older translations, was fornication. You see, adultery, which is being talked about here, by definition, everybody agrees, this is not a debatable point, adultery is sexual intercourse where one or both of the partners are married to someone else. In the Bible, under Mosaic law, of course, being engaged to someone would have also been included in this commandment. But one or both of the parties if they're married or engaged to someone else and they have sexual relations outside of that, they have committed adultery. And that is what is being taught against here. So needless to say, this applies to married people, betrothed men and women. Now there is another word that's used in the New Testament in the King James and sometimes translated in the old translations it was translated as fornication and then the more recent translations the words used are often sexual immorality but that is just a blanket word the Greek word for that is a general word that fornication that applies to any unlawful sexual activity so you will very often in the New Testament find these terms adultery and fornication even within the same verse because adultery when applies when one or both of the parties are guilty of that sexual immorality. 
But of course, that term can apply even if they're not married. Now that's important as I'll explain in a minute, but right now, let me just go on to say this. From this it's clear, it's teaching absolutely in the commandments that any other union apart from marriage is not acceptable in God's sight and that the companionship of marriage has been ordained as the place where we live together and can find expression in this way and also is the place that has been ordained as a necessity uh, sort of safe harbour a remedy if you like to keep us from falling into random uncommitted sexual encounters this type of sexual immorality that the wider aspect teaches hebrews 13 verse 4 tells us that marriage should be honored by everyone so here this commandment is directly addressing specifically through the use of the word adultery it's protecting the sanctity of the home it's technically referring to two people one of or both of whom have had married relationships have had sexual relationships with someone else outside of the marriage or someone single having a sexual relationship with someone who is married because the purpose of this commandment is to focus on the sanctity of the home because the bible recognizes that right from the beginning here as a fundamental building block of society Everyone recognises that adultery destroys marriages, even to this day, and that the home is the fundamental foundation of a stable society. So why is adultery prohibited in the Ten Commandments? Well, it's there for exactly the same reason as the other nine, because it's indispensable for the forming and maintaining of a peaceful and ordered society. It's the basis of civilization. The Ten Commandments seek to create the building box without which society's stability would be impossible. Why? Because it is the passing on of these godly values from one generation to another within the family unit that makes the building of godly societies possible. And because the commitment to a wife and children makes men and women and probably men particularly, who would have a tendency to be irresponsible, it in effect creates a system whereby we're structured to be responsible for one another, responsible for something, responsible for a man to be responsible for his wife and his children. Because more than anything else, the family meets the most deepest emotional, material and spiritual needs of both men and women. So you see, adultery threatens the family. The most obvious reason that it does that is because, well, even today, sex outside of a marriage will very likely lead to one or both spouses leaving that marriage. Now, adultery shouldn't necessarily automatically lead to divorce. Note it doesn't say that here, but it can do, and it often will, and by doing so it will destroy families. And of course, at this time, you've got to add into the fact that it would have been very likely at that point in time to lead to pregnancy and the birth of the child. And that child would almost in all cases start out their life with no family, no father or mother, even perhaps to identify and with and to call his own. And of course, within the adult relationships, the sense of betrayal that is experienced, the loss of trust that that causes, never mind the damage 
to the person who's committing the adultery the damage of living a fraudulent life, constantly telling lies to their spouse and family. So my point in all this is very simple, is that all of these three commandments, they're all about building a life that honours God and that you can live at peace and be constructive. And that's why God used them. And that's why they still, thousands of years later, applied by so many people as the basic principles on how to live the correct sort of life. Honour your father and mother. Don't murder other people. Don't commit adultery. But when we take a deeper dive into the New Testament and we hear Jesus talking about these, he says it all comes down to loving your neighbour as yourself. So ultimately it gets down to love involving respecting other people respecting other people and their lives and beyond that it has the added benefit of building respect across all of society so let me close by asking the question again what is the purpose of the ten commandments well let me suggest that i think there are three purposes number one was to convict people of their own unrighteousness to show them the potential areas in which they might fall short number two was to restrain people by acting on their fallen impulses by defining the transgressions that God defines as boundaries and that God will punish when we stray outside of them. And thirdly, to educate people concerning God's will for them. Let's be clear, I didn't say that the purpose of the command commandments was in itself to help people gain eternal life. That is said nowhere in the scripture. And I mention that because when you look at them and spend time studying them, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that by obeying them, you're going to find favour with God. Well, that is true, of course, on one level. But some people think for that the other side of that coin will mean that if they disobey any of them, they're not going to gain heaven. But that's not what's being argued here. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and not rigid obedience to the law. Think about the order in which God has done and moved so far in this Exodus story. Before he gave these commandments to the people, he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now, at this point, he's helping give them the basis on which they can build a godly civilization. So they're not given an order to gain heaven or to gain freedom from slavery. They're given in order that they can be given as a set of guidelines, boundaries, in which we together can build something that will benefit everyone. Not just Christian communities, that the whole human race have benefited from ever since. It's really just common sense if you think about it. You do not have laws in this land, and you do not have to keep those laws in order to be a citizen, well, of my country, the United Kingdom, or any country you happen to be live. You don't be a citizen by keeping the laws. Of course, sometimes the country, the state, will punish you if you transgress those laws, but they're not the thing that defines your citizenship. And if that, of course, is not true of the lands in which we live, then why do people think we need to follow the laws to remain citizens of the heavenly kingdom? It seems to me many people believe that in order become a citizen in heaven you just have to keep the rule that God rules that God lays out for his people but God's citizenship of his heavenly kingdom requires just one thing it just involves you trusting in his son and his death on the cross 
So we don't keep these commandments to gain heaven. These commandments weren't given in order to help people gain heaven, but we keep them because we know our heavenly father and we know that he said that we should do these things because by doing them, we will honor him. We respect him. And by doing so, it has the added benefit of helping us establish a just and fair society for everyone, just as God has tended. No wonder it seems to me that David found a place that when he meditated in God's law, he said he loved God's law because he recognised how profound it is. And we too should love God's law and we should follow God's law because we love him and because ultimately want to see his kingdom built in the place that God has put us. Okay, we'll leave it there for today and we'll come back and we'll look at the final three commandments tomorrow. Can I remind you that my name's Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. This podcast is available on all the main podcast platforms and wherever you get your podcasts from, but it is hosted on the BibleProject.Buzzsprout.com and it is there you'll find links, active links through that you can click through to all those other places where I put my teaching and materials on the internet. Places like the YouTube channel, all the social networks, even the Patreon page where some people have made the decision to financially support this ministry thereby enabling it to stay free and remain free for the majority of people. I'm thankful to them as I'm sure many of you are because without it I wouldn't be able to provide this ministry in the way I do. You'll also find links there to my Amazon author page and also other places where I put other different types of Bible teaching and more formal structured discipleship type courses. Anyway, have a look around. I hope you find them helpful. And with that all said, we'll leave it there for today. And I do hope I'll see you back here tomorrow as we close off this amazing chapter and we look at the last three of these 10 commandments. So bye for now. <laughs>